Hello and welcome to Global Sanctuary for Elephants podcast, Global Rumblings. Global Sanctuary for Elephants, or GSC for short, is a non-profit organization with a mission to create vast safe spaces for captive elephants where they are able to heal physically and emotionally, often from very traumatic pasts. I'm your host, Nadia Mari, and I'll be taking you to the lush jungle of the Mato Grosso region in central Brazil, home of GSE's initial project, Elephant Sanctuary Brazil. Currently home to six female Asian elephants, lovingly referred to as the girls. Hi everybody, this is Nadia. Before we dive into this week's episode, I invite you to join us at the Pachyderm Pumpkin Party Fundraiser. Your support will help make this Halloween truly enchanting for the girls. Plus, there's a chance to win a fabulous 2024 GEC calendar. You'll find all the details in the show notes. Thank you so much and have a spooktacular Halloween. Hi, welcome and thank you for joining us again this week for the next episode of Global Rumblings. Today is still about Ramba, dubbed Chile's last circus elephant and also the fourth elephant to arrive in the sanctuary. So without any further delay, let's head on over to Brazil. Hello, Kat. Hello, Scott. Hi, Nadia. Hey, Nadia. We're here with the birds again. <laughs> oh, lo- <laughs> lovely. A minute silent for the birds. And also maybe the bugs this time. That really threw our producer, Bob. He said there was a gigantic feedback. And I said, no, that was a bug. That was a bug. Yeah, they're still here. Yeah. They're going to be here for a little while until we get fully into the rain season. They, they make a lot of racket. Oh. Because we didn't start recording. Well, when we started recording last year, it was obviously then the dry season because I don't remember hearing the bugs that loudly uh, last year. So yeah, It's normally just these first few weeks of the dry of the rain season. You know, they tend to okay. announce that the rain is coming and they're very oh. proud of it. <laughs> Amazing. Lovely. Last week, we ended with Ramba graciously stepping into the transport crate while the um, colonel of the military police was tapping on his watch, letting you know you only have 24 hours to rescue her. And uh, yes, you closed the gates, the transport container, and you set off and arrived at the park safari, which was then to be Ramba's temporary home. You spent the first night there and take it from there. Well, uh, because she had already been scheduled to be rescued before, the facility was already created for her. You know, there was a small barn, ah. a small stall in the barn, hmm. um, enclosed, had water, had a heater that had then been removed because it had been so long. Mm-hmm. So they used it for somewhere else because they had, I think they constructed them, you know, maybe six months or a year earlier. It's quite a while um, because of all the delays that happened and, you know, all the processes that, that had to go through. Um, she, but she took to her new space right away. I mean, she just settled right in. You know, and it's really lovely seeing just the, you know, a complete change in her demeanor, you know, right away. We talked mm-hmm. about it that first night, laying down, taking a nap. But each day from that point on, you know, playing in the mud, playing in the water, going on her little island, tearing apart her few <laughs> willow trees. She didn't tear them apart right away. <laughs> she gave them some time. She was very <laughs> gentle initially. They were completely intact when we left. 30 days later. But as far as, as far as temporary facilities go, it was, 
it was quite decent for her. Sure. Uh, there were they we she was assigned a caregiver, um, and there was a volunteer there at the time, I guess an intern, at the who was from Germany actually, mm-hmm. um, who helped with translations, because it was only Spanish speaking crew and our Spanish was really really bad, and um, uh, she helped with translations. She was I don't remember her name right now. Uh-huh. But she was great. She was super enthusiastic and very helpful. Um, and the Diego. Diego was a caregiver that was assigned to her. Uh, he also had a lot of other responsibilities. So we were trying to constantly divide uh, divide his time and seeing what the park was willing to do. So we were doing a lot of the care and then trying to start Rumba with her protective contact training, target training. Um, to get her ready for the sanitary requirements that are going to be needed for her eventual importation at that point was still planning to the United States. Uh, she was still on the schedule to go to the, United, the sanctuary in Tennessee. Um, so the, our days were pretty much consumed with that, you know, general care. Mm-hmm. Um, Picking up poop with wheelbarrows and... Trying to find the right tools. <laughs> there were no tools initially. Had to go buy a bunch <clears> of stuff. Had to buy hoses. Had to buy... A lot of things that didn't exist. And had to buy them again after someone else took them yeah. for their section of the zoo. And we couldn't get them back. And had to buy them again after that. <laughs> uh, that was a, a rinse, wash, repeat. Uh, <laughs> I mean, a wash, rinse, repeat cycle where we were constantly having to replace things that were taken away. Um, our, we were there for about 30 days. And then we left for a couple of weeks to give them a chance to see how they'd stand on their own. And then we came back for, I think, another 10 days or five days or something yeah we hadn't scheduled that we were going to leave we had initially the schedule was that we would be there that whole time but she did so well um i mean she was the fencing of the enclosure was pretty thin um it made like a little ting ting sound when you tapped on it which is not what you want from fencing that's supposed to keep an elephant inside Mm. um she was so good with not trying to i mean she absolutely could have broken out matter of fact she did break the fence on her night yard um she had a normal yard and inside of the normal yard you do like a smaller yard that's connected to the barn and you usually call it a night yard and it's essentially if you want to close them in at night or if you want to close them in so that you can do some sort of cleaning so that they don't have to be closed in the barn so that they could still be on grass and what have you and I think it was the first time we closed her in there so that we could clean the yard. Um, she broke the fence. Well, the gates were just two horizontal slides. It wasn't even the gate. You just slid these horizontal. It was wrong in so many ways, Nadia. <laughs> you know, it was so wrong. Uh, it was rectangular tubing, and they slid in the vertical position. Uh, okay. So the skinny side is up. So. You would do this if you have a load on top of the okay. rectangular tubing. But she's not going to push down on them. She's going to push them from the side. And as Kat said, this is metal that sounds like a tin can when you tap it with your finger. And we, all she did was lean into it. I was going to say, mm-hmm. she wasn't angry. She didn't put a lot of force behind it. She just nudged it, and it, it bent. And she was like, oh, okay. And she nudged it again, and that was that. And she wasn't closed was in it. the night yard anymore. We were prepared for that entire enclosure after we rebuilt. Sure. Um, and by the time she ended up leaving <laughs> several years later, 
there were a lot of bent top rails and horizontal rails <laughs> and middle rails. There was a lot. It was mostly it was the middle rails, and it was because she would stand up on the fence to try to grab the branches from the willows that were outside of her enclosure that were planted years later. Because um, she's still. Ah, the grass is always greener on the other side. Yeah, she's always had a fondness for willows. So um, that was why most of those were bent. But yeah, I mean, we planned on possibly needing to stay there for almost two months, but she did so great with, I mean, her personality was so easy and even that even though the caregivers <clears throat> that were trained with her had never worked with elephants before, um, she was just very... She gave a lot of grace when it came to people working with her. Um, so we ended up leaving, like you said. I think it was for like 10 days, two weeks, and then we came back. So, so give us a, maybe an idea of her enclosure, because you mentioned just now that it had already been prepared because she, she was going to be, or you were um, expecting her earlier. So you said that there was a heater in place. So uh, are the nights chilly and chilly? No pun intended. I said Chile just now at the beginning, and that, that was the German word again, the German pronunciation. So is it chilly and chilly? And um, obviously in Brazil, where you are now, the girls, the elephants can be out all night. The temperatures are fantastic. And you said it was a park safari. So maybe um, is it like a zoo next door? Where exactly was she? Okay, so we'll start with the easy one. <laughs> it does get chilly and chilly. Um, it, she's had snow there. Yeah. I mean, it gets cold. And unfortunately, a lot of grandma elephants, like a lot of older animals and humans as well, they aren't able to regulate their temperature as well. So they tend to get cold very easily. And she would be trembling and shaking. And she had a really hard time. I'd say the last two winters that she was there, she definitely struggled a bit with just not being. And part of the challenge here in the winter is it's damp also, mm -hmm. you know, so it's that misty, cold, kind of dreary. It's not a dry cold. It's, it's a damp, wet cold. And her barn's only, it's a tiny one stall barn. It stays fairly wet a lot of the times. It has like plywood siding. Um, and it had windows that weren't fully finished. I mean, one had plastic over it. They did end up doing the rubber stripping in her doorway to at least try to keep some of the heat in. But, you know, you're not talking about a fancy structure. You know, even with the heat on, it's not like, you know, it was perfect by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, when I had stayed there, I was there at least once during the winter. And, you know, you would go to take care of her with layers and layers on and when you were in the barn with her you would still have at least you know a shirt and a sweatshirt on mm. by the time you left it just so not ideal it, okay. it wasn't it wasn't great mm. no it was no. not ideal i mean the, for the yard that was decent the whole scenario was not ideal and you know we can delve into that a little bit more as, as, as we answer the second part of your question which was about what is the safari park it's basically a roadside zoo oh, okay so it's a very small very very small i don't know how many acres but it's 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 a very small little space um baboons lions tigers um some hooked animals ze uh, zebra giraffe um, 
ostriches. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> ostriches, you know, various, various uh, types of, of African hoofed uh, animals, uh, antelope, etc. Um, and they had a couple of different areas, uh, primarily the savanna, if you want to call it that, where they would drive through the giraffe and zebra and such uh, in an open wagon. And, and you could feed them. Yeah. You could buy like pellets and hay and stuff and they would stop and all of the animals would come over this open sided truck mm -hmm. and people would feed them. Mm -hmm. And that was, I mean, there was maybe what, 10 yards between Rhombus fence and that fence mm -hmm. line. Um, because yeah, before they extended border. the fence, the giraffes could lean their necks over while we were trying to take care of Ramba. They would lean their necks over the fence and try to get hay. <laughs> Very cute. And then on the other side of... And did we talk about where our cabins were located with yeah, respect to the lions? Yeah. Mentioned the um, lions behind so us. On the other side was uh, the lion enclosure or the lion drive-through area, uh, which they were just kind of allowed, allowed to run relatively free within those small drive-through areas uh relatively small i mean very small an acre each maybe an acre and a half each yeah and again they would drive through except for these were not open-sided vehicles these were like vehicles with cages in the back and the people would sit in the cage in the back and they would put meat and chicken and stuff on top of these cages oh. and the lions would jump on the trucks and lay there and eat mm -hmm. and sometimes pee and do all sorts of good things. It was so bizarre. So bizarre. Especially since nothing was made well. <laughs> we always had the paranoia that somebody was going to get eaten. Yeah, and actually when you start talking to the owners, you know, and they started this idea of building a safari park because their dad loved it much, loved animals and started collecting some animals and end up, you know, building the safari park and small roadside zoo. And they... <laughs> They talked about doing this drive-through, and their first models, the first editions of their trucks that drove through the lion area were really sketchy. Um, you know, no, you know, for the driver didn't have any protection. Mm. Uh, they didn't put anything over the windows, and they broke through the windows. You know, tried to grab at the drivers on multiple occasions. Oh my god! Um, you know, breaking three feet coming through the mesh. <laughs> you know, oh there's a lot of stories, but that ends up being quintessential park safari <laughs> you know where everything is just enough just barely enough okay. not not to exceed the bare minimum of what needs to be done uh i would say the minimum to make sure that there aren't animals running around but they did have all those monkeys get loose they had a bunch of stuff happen oh, they, yeah they decided to put some of the monkeys in just like a treed area and this way they didn't have to be in cages, except for the trees in the treed area were super close to the trees outside of their area. And we, of course, made mention, and we're like, did you know monkeys jump, right? And they're like, no, it's fine, it's fine. And we did, oh, we were terrible. We had bets to see how long before the monkeys got out of their enclosure, because, I mean, there was no way they were going to stay in. And I don't remember who won. But I don't remember either, but it, it didn't last more than a day. Yeah. Uh, and they were out of their enclosure jumping through the eucalyptus trees. Um, you know, people could walk right up to this old, old, old tiger. Uh, poor tiger was miserable. Mm. And uh, people could walk right up to him and stick their fingers through the fence. Oh. I was going to say, people used to stick their fingers through the fence with the white tiger as well. Yeah. And he was hand raised. So he was, I don't want to say he was like a big kitty cat, but he would 
go along the sides and rub his face along the fence and people would stick their fingers mm. through the fence and touch him mm. and pet him um, baboons that you could reach over and touch yeah it was a little frightening because yeah. Yeah. They, they, they are still wild animals they haven't been domesticated even they've been bred they are still wild so but i remember listening um or seeing a footage and they're being um like sounded like an amusement park was there an amusement area as well with rides or something i remember hearing was that that wasn't initially no that was installed later oh, on. okay okay um yeah. but let you know before we go too far because it's easy to easy to point out a lot of the flaws of park safari um but without them, Rambo would not have had the Midway yeah. House. You know, she would not have had this location where she'd go into. They're the only ones that stepped up to create the space mm. using their own funds. Oh, that's good. You know, to to make the space possible for her, knowing that it was going to be temporary. Okay. But they were also not allowed. There was a judicial order that they weren't allowed to show her. They weren't allowed to have people take pictures with her or feed her or pet her or anything like that. So they knew that although there was going to be a lot of PR around her rescue and that people were going to come to see her, even though they technically weren't supposed to come to see her, they could still be in the hoofstock enclosure right next door and see her. Um, but they knew they weren't going to be able to make the money off of her that they would have preferred to have been able to do. And yet they still took her. That's good. Yeah. So there's a lot of, I mean, there's, before we go into the next layer of this, <laughs> we are still very grateful for them. Um, but you know, business being business as it is there, you know, once she was there for a long uh, past the six months, and even before that, you know, it was actually immediately after the, after we left, they talked about them not allowing the caregivers to take care of her, not allowing them to spend the time with her. Um, it was costing them too much money. Um, not providing the produce that we had stipulated, not providing good quality hay that had been outlined for her. And they just almost immediately after we left. Um, and all the press died down. Yeah, they started almost begrudging the whole process because they couldn't use her. And I think they were also surprised because of the rules and regs that we had put in place. Everyone wanted to come and pet and play on her. You know, and right away we... we didn't even know that one fam one was the son of one of the sons, a young kid of the owner. He was there with all his twenty something year old friends, you know, and they're all running going into her enclosure and we come running over, you can't be here, you can't be here, you can't do this. And he's like, I'm the son of the owner, I can do what I want. It's like she will kill somebody. You this is not Yeah. You know, this is not what you think it is. And you know, that you take the dominance away in that scenario. Um, you know, take that fear away, especially as she's going through this time of exploration of what her space is mm. and what her life is in this space. She is not going to respect you if you just start doing mm. this. You have to show her that you will listen and you guys aren't going to do this. You don't have the capacity. It's something we see in most circus elephants. I don't say it as much in zoo elephants is that there is this level of testing. You know, they're so used to being beaten or being reprimanded or punished or whatever it is when they do something wrong and having such strict boundaries that they do a little bit of this. Can I do this? Oh, I can do this. How about this? And if I do this, do I get in trouble? No? Okay, well, how about this? And it is, to me, it's kind of charming. It is something you have to be cautious with and aware of. 
but it is that it's really nice for them to not have to feel like they have to be perfect Mm. anymore, Mm. you know, and truly getting to a place where they understand and believe that they can just kind of do their own thing. And even if it's not quote unquote good or the best behavior, that there are no repercussions for it, you know, that it is their decision to make. Um, so I find the process charming, although sometimes <laughs> not necessarily easy, um, but it is part of autonomy. I think they also saw how calm she was when we were doing the training and all those introductions. Sure. And it does give a false sense of security. I guess a false sense of security, but also a uh, false sense of understanding of the complexity of what it is that we're actually doing. Mm-hmm. You know, the nuances that we're looking at, the subtle movements that we're responding to. I mean, everybody always says caregivers are like, it looks so easy when you do it. And then they try to do it and they're like, it's so hard. It's like, yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's like, it, it looks, even for us, it's not like it's seamless. We just, you know, we're constantly evaluating and making adjustments and every elephant is different and all of that stuff we've talked about, but it does from the outside. A lot of times it looks easy. And I think that's what gives people that huge mm. false sense of, oh, look at how good she is. You can do anything you want to her. And she's so calm. Mm. And mm. She was remarkable. I mean, we had to go through a lot with that first step of target training, you know, not only working with her, but also trying to teach the other people, you know, what is target training? What is the objective? Um, teaching Rama that it's okay to approach the target pole. You know, and this is something we often see with circus elephants, you know, because they've had so many adverse stimuli, negative stimuli with punishment, anything that comes towards them, they're expecting it to inflict pain. Mm. So now you want her to move towards the, the, the target, towards the item that she is unsure of. Mm. And it took some, it took a while with her. Uh, mm. I say a while, a few days. Um, yeah, they're all different. And one of the, we're going to hurting cats. Um, we've had people because Hannah had a little bit of a hard time with the target as well. She was, I think she's the only other one that was reluctant to go towards it. And we ended up, it's like a pole with like a wiffle ball on the end usually, or a big tape ball, or it just looks like a giant Q-tip. And the idea behind it is they get rewarded for touching it in a gentle manner. Um, And you eventually want them to get used to, they get positively reinforced when they touch it and you start with their head and then you go to other body parts. So they learn that anytime you put this target in the general vicinity, you want either their foot or whatever it is. Um, With Hana, we actually took the wiffle ball that we were using on the end off of the end and let her just touch that first. And people, you know, we had people at the time saying, you know, why don't you use your hand? Wouldn't it just be easier? And the reality is sometimes they, respond much more negatively to trying to use a hand Mm. you know you're also talking about elephants that have been hit you know it's not there is no easy solution there is no one way that works best again it goes to the individuality of the elephant that you're always trying to address but for those who may be thinking why didn't you use something different often getting them to approach a hand is more difficult okay. than having them approach this inanimate object. Uh, there's a lot of adjustments that are always in that process, always adapting to what it is that they're seeing, you know, what or what are we seeing from her. 
Um, and it's never a linear approach to any of these type of training, whoever's doing hmm. it. You know, it's, it's, people will explain training as being very black and white, but it is a very dance in the gray area, you know. Hmm. Especially with such an intelligent species. Hmm. I mean, nothing's black and white when it comes to elephants or any of those higher thinking species. It just doesn't work that way. But then we're also trying to teach Diego how to do this with all the nuances, with language barriers. And they never use positive reinforcement training on any of their animals, Mm -hmm. not just an elephant. New concept all the way around. So it was definitely a lot of challenges, Mm -hmm. but in those first 30 days, actually did remarkably well. Rama did so, so well what she learned Mm -hmm. as quickly as she did. You know, a lot of it was us just wanting to be there to make sure that she was good with her diet, that she seemed to be, her GI system was good. She was comfortable in her surroundings. Her caregivers were comfortable with her, so on and so forth. You know, the training was something we knew we were going to start, but didn't necessarily expect to make a lot of ground on. Um, But she learned to approach the target and was fine with that. And she would do a head target. She was trained to lean in. She was trained to present her front feet which was a little funny because she has what we call crazy feet. Um, or at least initially she had crazy feet. It's a fine balance between teaching an elephant to kick your target (laughs) and to gently touch your target, um, or hover near it. And sometimes they do this wild and crazy circling with their feet, trying to figure out what it is you're trying to get them to do. They didn't really want to touch the target and hold it there, but she would touch it for a second and then move her foot and touch it for a second and move her foot and her foot was (laughs) crazy foot. It was all over the place. But she was great. I mean, she did for the short time we were with her and having to learn even just the concept of everything and new people and new space. I mean, she was amazing. Oh. For my understanding, so the Park Safari had offered to give her the uh, the land, luckily, or give you the land. And so Diego and the other carer was then actually their staff. And who was who was paying? Because you said you, you were buying food, obviously. Who, who was paying the salaries? You are just a, a young non-profit, although I don't even think you'd been founded by then, had you? No, Global Sanctuary for Elephants at that point didn't exist. Uh, we were still uh, on the on the trajectory of I need time away from elephants. Yeah, we, yeah. you know, we really um, we we weren't even sure what we wanted to jump back into because we know the investment yeah. uh, that it takes, you know, emotional, physical, financial to to make something make anything happen when you jump in full time. So uh, at this point, everything was being paid. Uh, I say everything. I think the vast majority has been paid through Park Safari okay. mm-hmm. uh, as part of the agreement. Ecopolis, uh, the Ecopolis, the nonprofit in Chile had helped with a few things here and there and would help with tools once in a while. Uh, but then as time went on, that started to shift. And within the first six months, we started to get feedback of, you know, they never installed the heater when it came to wintertime. And they didn't have, they couldn't provide the care for her that they needed on a regular basis because they had too many other things to do. And we started getting this picture of neglect and, and granted we still were not supposed to be involved yeah. at this point. You know, we were brought in to move her to park safari and that was, you know, we were there to help a little bit, but we had no jurisdiction. We had no, um, 
no long-term commitment aside from the commitment that we make for any animal, but as far as financial, as far as commitment for ongoing training or anything of this nature, that wasn't part of the game because again, she was supposed to be heading towards the elephant sanctuary in Tennessee. So at some point, I don't remember even when that was the sanctuary. It was, they said they were not going to be able to take elephants for a period of time and they were not able to take Ramba. Oh dear. Um, they weren't going to take Ramba. They were not. I'm sorry. They weren't going to take Ramba. They were not going to take Ramba. So that changed everything. It changed everything from the park safari because now they saw this longer term financial commitment. Um, it changed everything because the Copalus is a very small nonprofit organization that couldn't afford much, although they did fundraising for getting different loads of hay. Um, and then I think they initially hired one of the caregivers, and I think we got a little bit of funding from the Elephant Sanctuary in Tennessee on occasion for caregivers. Um, but then at some point when Global Sanctuary for Elephants started evolving, then we ended up taking over pretty much near daily contact with the care staff. Uh, we started managing the care staff. We started paying the care staff. We paid for everything. Uh, we started paying for hay. Mm. Um, Ecopolis was able to do hay fundraisers periodically, but, mm-hmm. you know, produce, I think Ecopolis is paying for still at that point. At that point. You know, and then later on, as time continued to go on, uh, and once we were more serious about making elephant things for Brazil started, you know, Kat was in, she was the daily elephant manager from afar. Mm. <laughs> I was, but she had lovely caregivers, yeah. so... It was okay, but there were a lot of, we always joke if somebody steals our phone, they're just going to be like, what is wrong with these people? Because there's like poop pictures and feet pictures and like feet shaving pictures. And there's just so many daily pictures that have to go back and forth when you're trying to care for an elephant from, at that point, a different continent initially. Um, yeah, and we didn't have any financial resources to be able to commit to going down there on a regular basis. Yeah. So a lot of what we were doing is training over the phone, mm. you know, training the people over the phone. And I mean, we ended up, I mean, over the years, because as most people know, what was it, seven years mm-hmm. before she actually came to Elephant Sanctuary Brazil from when she left um, the circus initially. Um, I don't even know how many times we had sent... Um, Gail Ali, a different trainer there to try and work on getting blood from her so we could understand where her health was at. I went back multiple times. We paid a caregiver that we used to work with to go there for months. Um, I don't remember if you went back, but there was a lot of, although yes, there was a lot done by phone. There were also a lot of visits. We both went back because we were there training um, Carolina and the guy who did not stay, whose name I can't remember. We were both there for that. Mm. So there are a lot of trips back and forth and it was mostly not to necessarily do anything directly with Ramba. A lot of it was because of needing caregivers. And once the safari park decided they didn't want us supply caregiver anymore we had to go back Mm. and we had to hire new caregivers that were going to be separate from the park and we had to train them and then one of the guys left at one point so we had to train somebody else and then Ramba looked terrible at one point 
So we had to go back. There was a lot of yeah. back and forth. Not that we had the budget for it, but it happened anyway. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't the easiest scenario. And we have to give a lot of credit to the caregivers that were there. Yeah. Um, they, they went through a lot. Mm. Uh, they went through a lot with, you know, the cutting the power, the, the safari park cut the power off. They would cut, cut the, the water, water off. They would actually cut the water line. Mm. You know, they were dealing with these things that were just nonstop mm. headaches. They had to deal with a lot on a regular basis with it, with all I of mean, that. there would be construction next door. The safari park was also a catering hall. Um, so one half was the safari park. The other half was this really high-end catering hall. Mm. Um, but they would have weddings and parties that would go until like 6 o'clock the next morning. And they would be doing rides in the lion house, whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah, until midnight, one in the morning, there would be fireworks. There would be drunk people wandering all over the park. Mm. I mean, it was not an easy job for them on top of the fact that you know there was all this stress of is Ramba actually ever going to get to go to sanctuary mm. is she going to end up dying in this place you know there was a lot and you know we've talked about it before when you work with an elephants in order to do it well you have to be emotionally open and available and when you are that way it is easier to become emotionally upset and stressed mm. when you have concerns about her well-being yeah. and what her life is going to be like. So we love them. We will talk to yeah. them. But it does sound like, uh, obviously, for all involved, it just turned out to be totally different than you'd planned. As they say, life is what happens while you're busy making other plans. It was supposed to be a temporary um, home for her until stuff was sorted out for her to go to America. Then, for whatever reason, the sanctuary in Tennessee wasn't able to take her. That, and then suddenly the park safari was uh, was not being so friendly anymore. So, yes, it just sounded like a very um, challenging and stressy time for all involved. And uh, yes, maybe then we can pick up in our next recording. But before we get cut off, just one minute. What is the rest of the day? What have you got planned? I haven't gone that far. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, I haven't gone that far. Um, projects, 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 like the projects I have. We actually have four elephant caregivers here today. Um, so it's the first time in months. Ah, yeah, we've had, four had elephant people being on vacation and people, uh, a new person starting. Um, one person out with a back injury, so fine. I mean, we have four elephant caregivers, so they're probably going to let them stand on their own this afternoon and give them a little bit of autonomy to take care of the elephants. On the okay. You're busy as always, and uh, yeah, thanks so much for taking the time out, and um, have a lovely day, and catch up next time. Thank you, Nadia. Always a pleasure. Bye. Bye. So unfortunately, that is all that we have time for this week. But uh, you can stay connected with Global Sanctuary for Elephants by following them on their various channels on social media. We'll link up to all those in the show notes. And until next time, goodbye and take care. Oh, 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 oh.